Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me today is Liam Andrew. He's the chief product officer at the Texas Tribune, where he leads the newsroom's software strategy and operations and oversees the engineering, design and analytics teams. He joined the Tribune in 2015 as a developer, bringing a background in software engineering, product strategy and user experience design from media startups and academic research labs. In our conversation today, we discussed the Texas Tribune's approach to building their data infrastructure and implementing various AI tools and products like automatic content tagging, content recommendations, and exploring large language models. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Likewise. So, Liam, the Texas Tribune has made quite a name for itself with the way you've prioritized building your data infrastructure early on and prioritizing on innovating with AI. So I actually want to start off with talking about the importance of building the data infrastructure for your newsroom, because I just read a NPA, the News Product Alliance case study that just got published at the end of July about the analytics hub that the Texas Tribune has created to kind of implement data literacy within your newsroom. And I think it's an important conversation for us to have because about the importance of good quality data playing a role for AI development as well, because if we step away from the news industry and see there's been so many use cases for you getting good data and using that for audience engagements and business operation. And without quality data, that's 
thoughtfully organized in store, I think AI systems could be shaky at best. So let's start with that. I'm excited to know about how the Texas Tribune has gone about building this solid foundation. So could you explain the role of the analytics hub at the Texas Tribune and what actually led to its creation? Absolutely. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right that newsrooms are always very interested in their they have their origins in exploring data and getting value out of data. And especially at the Texas Tribune, we really built our brand on that in the first few years of the Texas Tribune. Data analysis and data exploration and tools for doing that was a key part of our growth at the in the early years. I would say that we were really good at looking at other people's data, finding faults, cleaning it, finding patterns. And we didn't do that with our for ourselves enough in the early years. We knew data was important to see how government works and, and sometimes how it doesn't work. And we focus on that rather than our own data, the data of, our, of what our audience is doing or the patterns in the, in the work that we were producing and what we could learn from ourselves about our own work. Now, I think about a decade into, into the Tribune's history, we have enough data about ourselves and enough audience data to really learn more about ourselves. And that's where the Analytics Hub came in. We started conversations about the Analytics Hub years ago. And before that, a lot of our data, our analytics data was housed in series of spreadsheets, which is how a lot of places do this. They, uh, a lot of people will talk about really the value of data and the importance and wanting to know more data before making big decisions about the organization, the business. And it's sometimes hard to find that data if you don't have it ready. Or a lot of the times you hire a data analyst who then ends up spending all their time trying to find the data or clean the data. And they can't spend their time analyzing the data and getting insight out of it. So what we started was by building a data warehouse that's all uh, stored in BigQuery warehouse. And we hired an analytics and data manager who has been fantastic at getting this data warehouse set up for us. And with that, we that sort of formed the foundation for the Analytics Hub. The Analytics Hub is a one-stop shop for our analytics about the Tribune. A couple of the things that made it, made it really interesting and important for us we wanted it to be full democratic access for all of the Tribune. You know, it's obviously it's it's internal only. You have to have a Tribune login to see it. But we didn't want to hide all our data to, you know, if you're a reporter or even a student fellow who comes into the newsroom, you can see all of our data about our podcasts, about our newsletters, about our website readers, about our sponsored content posts. So it, it was important to, to us to allow it to start conversations between departments. I think that that has been a really valuable thing about it and resource for it. We we didn't want to provide a custom dashboard for each department and have every department not know what the others are looking at or even or doing. So that's been a really nice and important sort of shared resource for us. And I think that's really been valuable for us. Yeah, I find that really intriguing. And it's it's a really transparent way to work with the data just being available for anyone. And I think, as you were saying, there's not much you can get with a data scientist or data analyst or just even a tool if you're lacking the data. And the fact that innovation is really in AI is not just the algorithms and technology, it's more about the data too. So I want to talk more about the insights that you've probably gotten from this data too work on the AI initiatives that you've been building. You've worked on quite a few AI products that have come out from the Texas Tribune. So let's start with there. How have you been thinking about AI and what have you built so far? Sure. Yeah, we've spent a long time at the Tribune focused on AI, I, I would say, on some products. We have a history with working with AI. I don't know if we called it AI at the time. I think that's something we're finding that we it's almost a rebrand of our work, the work we were all already doing around big data, or we would call it 
big data, machine learning, named entity recognition, NLP. There were all, all these terms and they were kind of fuzzy words at the time, but now it's really all gone under this big blanket of AI. So that's that's how what we're calling it now. But I would say we we started one of the places that we're using a lot of AI tools is in our tagging system. We have a, a the tags are really important, uh, like you were saying with the, our data warehouse, for instance, our in our analytics hub. We aren't going to be able to get much insight out of our stories if we can't categorize them smartly and find patterns within the topics that we're covering. So, for instance, we need to know that our education stories can be divided into public education and higher education, or into stories about uh, this metro metro area versus that one. So it, it's really important for, for categorizing our content before we can gain any insight and in specific beats or seeing how a certain type of channel is, is performing. So that that's a big place that we started. The AI work that we did initially for our tags was in suggesting tags to our editors. When drafting a story, and our content management system would take the full text of that story and run it through Watson, for instance, that's named entity recognition to see what actors are in that story. We then, our tagging system connects those actors with topics. So for instance, if we name University of Texas in Austin in the story, it would be more likely for it to be a story about higher education. Or we name a certain lab there, for instance, a, a science center there, it will know that it's about a certain topic in, within that group. So that, that's really important just to suggest consistent tagging for editors um, between in different desks, making sure that there's a at least somewhat unified uh, ability to, to tag our stories in a consistent way, even if our night editor, night editor is doing it rather than our daytime editor, or if our higher education editor is doing it rather than our, rather than our politics editor. So that's where we started is just to help suggest the right tags to editors to make sure that we have consistent topics or consistent definition of topics between stories. And that's just like you were saying, it's a really crucial foundation for any AI work, as well as just any smart metrics you can get out of your newsroom to see where are, where you have uh, opportunities for growth and opportunities for fundraising and more. So the consistency that you've built out with the automatic content tagging system has really helped you in adding more data to what your content has already and leveraging that. Talk to me more about also the content recommendation system that you've built out with the Texas Tribune and the Read More. There's been some innovative work going out over there as well. What have you been doing? Yeah, we have at the end of our stories, for instance, we have a Read More module like a lot of newsrooms do that suggests related articles or, or articles that uh, somebody who's finished a specific article might want to read next. We started off doing that with editorial curation. Our editors were picking those stories. We did use our tagging system to suggest some of those related stories, but that's a little bit of a self-fulfilling. I think it became a little bit automatic for editors and they weren't they weren't thinking about it too much. And it was just adding a lot of work for them on every single story to pick three or four or five stories to recommend. If there's breaking news dropping, they might not have time to do that. So we started working with the local news lab at the Brown Institute. We were in their first cohorts along with the Philadelphia Inquirer working with them on AI-driven content recommendation and recirculation modules. And the goal for us was really to save our editors time to remove that element of manual curation and without reducing the performance of that module, allowing recirculation to still happen. So it was really great experience working with them and with the Inquirer, talking about all of the signals that go into a recommendation system, whether it's content-based, whether it's an extension of the tags, is it stories that mention the same people or the same topics? Are those the ones you want to put at the bottom of the story? 
or if it's collaborative filtering, and that's like the Amazon style. Readers who've read this article also read the, the following three articles. So we started working with them on that, and they they did the bulk of the engineering work and sort of designing that algorithm for the recommendation system. But we really consulting with them about what signals should go into that, what was most important for us in that system. One thing I thought was really interesting in learning with that was working alongside the inquirer, finding that our our needs were very different. The signals that we wanted to see were very different. And that's just because we're different newsrooms with different needs. You know, we don't do sports scores. And uh, whereas the you know Philadelphia Inquirer does a lot of sports coverage. So the the timeliness even of a recommendation saying, you know, of a related story recommendation was very different. We might have uh, stories with uh, some longer shelf life and then some that are shorter, for instance. And so theirs were a little different. And that was just really interesting to learn from one another as we as we did that. We ended up working with alongside the local news lab at the Brown Institute. We ended up deploying this system that is still in production now that is working on using collaborative filtering. So it's looking at uh, what other users have read alongside the article that they're reading right now. And we saw we saw a little bit of a change in performance in terms of the recirculation, the amount of recirculation happening. I think there might have been a slight dip in the number of recirculations happening but it wasn't enough to offset just the amount of time it saved the editors and just one less thing to, to do on every publication of every story. And that time save has been great. We are interested in revisiting that and looking at other other recirculation systems, other AI systems that might that might do better. And and so that that's sort of on our roadmap to test out some some other ways to to keep that module lively and see how AI can help us keep that recirculation going. Let's head deeper into that because I think the content recommendation system is so important since it's not a one-size-fits-all model and that's really innovative in the way we are distributing content and showing that to our audience. And Eli Trunk, who came on the podcast earlier, spoke about just the need for us to use this for this treasure trove of content and move away from that model that we've been using for so long. So I want to understand what were the key kind of success metrics that you were looking at when deploying this project and what was the biggest challenge you faced? The biggest metric of success, again, was, again, automating the the editors, the, this thing that was otherwise a very manual process. I think that was crucial for us and everything else was sort of cherry on top. We didn't want to see a drop in recirculation more than about 20 to 30 percent of what we were originally getting. We knew, I guess I shouldn't say that we knew, but my hypothesis was that we were going to see a little bit of a drop because a person, an individual editor recommending a related story, that's a lot of value. That's uh, an editor who is a huge expert on the topic that they're working on and has seen and knows our entire archive, knows what we've produced before is going to have really good signals there. I think there that is something that we are in turn looking at now as all of those manually curated stories are now or researching the potential of using those as training data for the next set of AI work that we might do, training on the, on sort of automating those these related stories. I think that that's just a lot of value that, that they produced, but it was not not worth their time at the time to, to do that. So we have automated it. We have seen that the recirculation has not dropped significantly. But like I said, it did it did drop some. And I think what we the other big change that we were looking at is just how many stories should we recommend? That's another thing that we are digging into. You know, should it be three, four, five, six stories? And it's a whole ecosystem at the bottom of our story. We also have call outs for a membership or for reading up our sponsored content, or for exploring our events. So if we put nothing but related stories down there, is it going to lower the 
sort of recirculation to these other places that we other actions that our audience might take. So I didn't want to over rely on the numbers and say, oh, there's a higher number when we recommend eight stories versus four, because of course there are. I think if it lowers the, you know, if it, if it most pushes other things farther down the page that are also important to our audience or to our to our business, then we don't want to we don't want it to negatively affect that. So I would say yes, we saw a drop in our overall, a slight drop in our overall recirculation rate, but it was it was worth it for us, and partly because we also knew that there was a lot of other stuff on the bottom of the page that we did want to readers to reach as well. And how is your audience engaging with that? Did you see any difference in like click through rates to read on more articles? We saw again a slight, a very slight drop, but it's it was not a significant enough one to worry us and. I think that we are continuing to see users going back and reading more and more articles. One of the things that we, one of the features that we shipped at the same time as we sort of automated this, these read more features was to put in a related link plugin uh, sort of in inside of stories so that in the middle of a story, it might suggest a story that an editor would really like somebody to read. There were times that that was interesting edit, feedback from our editors. They said, you know, most of the time, this is kind of a chore for us. We don't want to keep doing it. But once in a while, there's really a story I want this reader to go to next. And so this is where having a feature, building a feature in our CMS that allowed editor to still recommend that story and maybe even recommend that story a little higher up on the page was a really good win for everybody. Interesting. This conversation so far has really gotten me curious to know more about how is the Tribune's overall AI strategy really in line with the mission and objectives? How how would the tools that you're building contributing to that mission? There's a lot going on here, as we know with, with AI, especially this year. I would say that one of the ways that we are looking at it at the Tribune is that we are not like we we're saying that we're not like the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Philadelphia Inquirer is not like everybody else either. That all these newsrooms are different, and some of the tools that that we are looking at are ways to support us as a relatively specialized newsroom. We're looking at Texas politics and policy, and that's sort of where we where we are starting. Our coverage is unique in the in that way that we are seeing a lot of the off the, off the shelf tools that you can use, for instance, for autom- uh, automated tagging, apply to more generic newsroom or more generic content than what we have. So I would say that's a big place we're starting is saying we need tools that are specialized in knowing what we know about our coverage in our audience in our newsroom. And so that that's kind of been a guidepost, I think, as, as I've been working, especially with um, our managing editor for visuals, Darla Cameron. She and I have been leading in sort of an AI task force in, uh, within the organization to talk about some of the opportunities and, and of course, the, the drawbacks or challenges and some of the, the latest AI tools. There's certainly a lot more interest across the newsroom now than there was last year, for instance, in these tools. First, there was a lot of worry. A lot of our discussions have been talking about it's not all worry out there. We've got opportunities here too. We've held a couple of really productive brown bag sessions, which got really high attendance, you know, optional for all staff. And a lot of editors are excited to be there. A lot of business staff are really excited to be there talking about what we can do, some of the things that we could do, not just for production and for analysis, but also for story generation and new ideas that the newsroom is, is getting about what sort of scale can we achieve on some of the stories we'd like to write about but just don't have the capacity to do as a, as a relatively small newsroom covering a gigantic state. Yeah, and I'm curious to know how have you been approaching generative AI with your work? What's been the approach to what's tools like ChatGPT? 
Yeah, uh, stay tuned for uh, very soon. We'll have a uh, a post on our website about uh, sort of our our broader AI policy and some of the some of the work we're thinking about or doing there. But we, I would say, we are still finalizing exactly as as I think a lot of newsrooms are exactly what our policy is or should be. What I'm seeing people use generative AI for certainly they're using Otter for for transcription, for instance. That's been going on for a while. Some of them are using, some reporters are using ChatGPT for research, deep dive research that that a search engine might not be able to have a conversation with you to really get into the deep of a topic, a specialized topic that you're researching. That's been a really, uh, really interesting use and something that a couple of times I've, I've had requests, for instance, or, or had discussions about like, oh, can we get a Texas Tribune ChatGPT account going so that I can, because I've run out of my free tokens. It's like, I don't know, like, let's let's slow down here. Let's talk about this. Like, what are you asking? Like, so I think there's still a lot of discussion to be had there. But that those have been sort of two early places I've seen sort of interest or excitement about it from the newsroom. The places that we're starting to really talk about how it can help across the business and especially with our audience initiatives is how can generative AI help us suggest headlines, suggest summaries, suggest promotional copy for social media, and also on our marketing tools. We spend a a lot of time and effort on writing great copy for promoting our events, for instance, or promoting our podcasts, or you 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 name it, any any product or channel that we've got. We've got a great marketing team that's working working on making sure that it reaches the right people and, and convinces the right people that that we're worth their time. So I think that's where I see a lot of opportunity and I know they see a lot of opportunity to sort of level up, uh, you know, allow some of the day-to-day work that, that they do to kind of be semi-automated or give them a first draft or, or get through some writer's block that they might have around discussions around the value of the product that we have. That's really interesting to see the news. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today taking such an active approach towards experimenting and testing out with those use cases. And this is bringing me back to, we had this really long conversation at Media Party back in true and talking about building custom LLM for your newsrooms and exploring that idea. I'd love to hear more about how you have been thinking about it with your work at the Tribune. Like I was saying, and because we, I don't want to say we're, we're completely unique and special, but we are a specialized newsroom. And so some of the generic tools out there don't do the job that we would like them to do and you know, develop, have the expertise that we have or need for Texas politics and policy. So I think what we've been starting to do as we look at tools like ChatGPT and seeing their value, there are two reasons that, that we are kind of exploring customizing those or adding a custom element 
one is that we know, you know, we know that ChatGPT is kind of based on the whole entire users of all the whole web and in the content on the web. That's uh, pretty generic and often doesn't have the expertise that we need. And as we all know, it, it tends to give wrong answers sometimes or just can't answer specialized questions that, for instance, our staff might have about or our users, my audience might have around Texas politics and policy in particular. So one thing I've been excited about the potential of is can we train an AI model on specialized Texas history, politics and policy? A tool like that would be really useful in a couple of ways. I mean, it could be a user facing tool if we really were confident in its answers. I think first and foremost, though, I and as I've talked about this with our editorial staff, we think this would be a really useful onboarding tool for our staff, for new reporters coming in who have not worked in Texas politics and policy and need to get up to speed really quickly on how the legislative session works, for instance, or how a certain law has been challenged or held up further. So that's a place where you know we have that data in the Texas Tribune's archives, 13 years of stories. We also have archives of hundreds of events and panels and, and podcasts. There's a lot of content that we already have. If we were able to train a model to gain that the knowledge of the Texas Tribune, sort of inputting the Tribune rather than the whole web, what would that give us? Could it give us more quality than quantity? It might not be able to answer everything because we know that these models require a lot, a lot of data to be really, really concrete on, on its answers to everything. But if you answer, if you ask it specific questions about specific things, could it be better than a more generic model? So that's, that's one place we're starting. And then I'd, I'd say also one of the reasons we're looking at building our own is just simply out of uh, privacy concerns around giving a generic LLM, a, a service, data about what we're researching or what we're writing, especially if it's something we haven't written about yet or if it's just something we're exploring and uh, making sure that we're not we're not giving information to these to these models that could then be regurgitated in some some other format elsewhere. Exactly. I feel like with so many generative AI tools that are coming right now, my first instinct is to go and check what the privacy policy is because I'm just worried about how they're using the data, where it is. A lot of them I've been noticing don't even have an about us or a privacy policy. <laughs> so that's concerning. Too excited about the tech to bother with the privacy, right? Yeah. Go. So I'm really excited about this idea of exploring and we're also exploring this building custom LLMs and learning more about how that could be useful for newsrooms. Yeah, the place we're starting there, we have some, we have a, a great engineering team and data visuals team that are really well versed in, in sort of data analysis and uh, also in engineering, of course, and, and building. So we've been exploring open source language models and how they would work with some of the inputs that we give it. Uh, how, what would we train it with? in order to get the, the answers or results that we might want. So we started, for instance, we have a couple of ways we've started this. One is training it with, for instance, those, our, our archive of tags and how we have tagged stories in the past. It can then take that and, and use that's training data for future tagging suggestions, for instance. If it sees the story that's related to some of the text in the story in the past, it can suggest some of the same tags that our editors have already selected for a past story. And like I said, we've, we've also been kind of taking those editor-picked related stories, using those as inputs to say, okay, if these stories are related, our editors have already said that, that's training data for an LLM right there. So there are a couple of ways we've been looking at that. And I would say it's just an open source classifier for named entities is sort of where we're starting and, and sort of exploring the possibilities of having, a, having our own sort of LLM 
that would be useful for tagging. I, oh, the other place that I think is, is kind of exciting that we're exploring is, is around disclosures. So we have uh, thousands and thousands of people who have given us money and people in organizations, I should say, sponsors, major foundations, small-time donors. Our policy is to, is to disclose whenever we have talked about, whenever somebody has given us money, and if we write a story about that, we need to disclose that we uh, that they have given us money. That's a really hard manual challenge for editors to do every time that there is a, a company named, for instance, in a story. Have they given us money? Oh, let me go control F for all, you know, through our entire sponsor list or do a search. And so that's something that we think there's there's a good chance to automate that or just ha- have uh, a custom LLM that we are training with our whole sponsor history or, dis- or to sort of inform future disclosures. Just to set the context for the listeners, the Texas Tribune being a nonprofit newsroom also does um, have this disclosure. And that actually brings me to my next question, because being a nonprofit, you have this unique. It's interesting to see how you've been approaching AI so early on as well. And what advice would you have for other nonprofits, newsrooms who are seeking to leverage AI right now? Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is a lot of nonprofit newsrooms are much, much smaller. I mean, we're one of the larger ones. So I think we have a little bit more engineering capacity than some, but no one's too small to experiment with these things. And in some ways, smaller newsrooms have fewer hurdles to jump in order to get underway on these things. If everybody's bought in in your small newsroom, then you can go ahead and experiment in a way that a really large, large scale organization is going to going to have just more, more trouble getting started, I think. And I would say with, for nonprofits in particular, not just small newsrooms, but nonprofit newsrooms, this is a really good time to be asking for resources from funders on AI. Uh, some of the projects that you might have wanted to do for a long time, whether or not they're generative AI, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing here that I'm talking about around entity recognition or disclosures, this isn't all generative work. It's it's just AI work. It's work that requires requires natural language processing and LLMs to do. There's more, I would say funders are listening more to, to that than they were before because there's a lot of excitement about generative AI. And so if anything under that AI umbrella is getting attention from all over the map, but especially from funders. So I would say this, that's where I see opportunity to take some of the projects that we've always wanted to do and just not have the resources at the time and start to ask for the resources that we wouldn't have been able to ask for before. Or we might have been able to ask for them, but we probably wouldn't have gotten that meeting in the way that we can now. And you've mentioned the term entity recognition quite a bit, and it might be a bit too technical. So I was wondering if you could just break down what entity recognition looks like in your tool at USA. Yes. So entity recognition is, is a taking a long string of text and finding the actors in it. And as actors, it can be people, places, organizations, topics, events. I think those are the big five. I might be missing one. But that, that basically, it can structure the data for you or structure some text for you by just seeing, okay, we mentioned Greg Abbott in a story. Greg Abbott is a person rather than just a string of text. And once you have that, uh, and more than the Greg Abbott is a person, once you get really deeper into the entity recognition, you say Greg Abbott is a political figure. Greg Abbott is, the go- is a governor. Greg Abbott is a governor of Texas. You can kind of dive deeper and deeper and uh, gain more knowledge about who you're writing about and how it relates to other other entities that might be in your story. Yeah, and there's just so many different use cases apart from just generative AI that we've been talking about for a long time recently about tools and that has already been being used and has been pretty well developed. 
Yeah, one thing that I, our data visuals team is really especially excited about is the potential of using entity recognition to inform more campaign finance tracking in Texas. That's been a really interesting a possible use case for us. There are no rules around campaign finance. Let, I'll just put it that way in Texas. Anybody can donate any amount to anyone, any politician. And the state does not really track these people and who they are. They just, and they have a string of text. That's what they do. They don't, they don't structure that text. So one thing we would love to do is find a way to take these roles of campaign finance data, start to say, this is a person or an organization that's giving the money. This is the industry they're from. And this is the politician they're giving money to. And start to find patterns there and see, okay, like how are they voting for or against the thing, the industries that might be giving money to them? There's a lot of potential there just in structuring some of the government data that is currently unstructured. Wow, that's a, that's a really interesting use case and in seeing how all of the learnings and findings you've been implementing on the tech side of your newsroom can also go about to help your journalism understand more and implement that to broaden the work you do. Yeah, it, it almost balloons into like too many ide- opportunities and ideas to, to keep track of. That's certainly happening. And, you know, then then we'll start talking about that and we'll say, oh, what about if we could also have meeting transcripts for uh, all these meetings with these donors? Is like, yes, this would be great. Like, where are we going to stop? Yeah, and I think that's bringing me back to I want to talk more about the human side of the business with you. You've been instrumental in building out this kill team and leading it at the Tribune. And I think something that a lot of our listeners, whether they're in leadership role or just starting out in their career, would find incredibly insightful would be how are you building out your technical team and ensuring that they're aligning with the Tribune's objectives? And what do you look for when hiring your engineers? I think that certainly differs everywhere, but at the Tribune, we've been really, I'd say, a combination of luck and and just it's almost a feedback loop. If you hire good people, then that will encourage more good people to, to keep coming. And so I think we, we've really hired a great engineering team. And that's partly, I think, because of that, like I was saying at the beginning, that we started off as a really data-focused organization and some of the tools that we have built are still innovative and insightful to, to engineers who may otherwise not have thought of a nonprofit journalism organization as being a cutting edge place to, to be doing engineering work. I think they see some of the tools and the work we do in our, our fast and accessible website and they say, oh, this, this is, they know what they're doing. And that just brings in more good people. So you got to start somewhere and you need to hire that first great, those first great people that really know what they're doing. But it also starts from the top. Like I, I think certainly um, our CEO and, and our founder and everybody else there you know, really saw the Tribune as a tech organization as well as a journalism organization. So, so we're lucky in that sense. When I'm looking for great engineers, I'm usually not looking for specific technical background. Although certainly we have, for instance, most of our stack is built on Python. And so we, we certainly are looking for good Python engineers or people. But, but more importantly, we're looking for people who are interested in learning what they don't already know. If I'm in a job interview with an engineer and they start dropping the names of buzzwords, for instance, of what they already know and what they've already worked with and say, oh, I think we should use this tool because it works for me over there. And I'm less interested in that. I'm a lot more interested in people who are asking good questions about the tech we're already using and who are interested in the tech we're already using, even if they're not already familiar with it. I think that willingness to learn and, and pick up new skills is so crucial for any engineer to have. It's uh, something you have to be good at doing if you're going to be a good engineer. 
So I think we've, we've really, I, I would say we optimize for that. We, we look for, for people who are really smart and interested in learning rather than people who have this many years working with this specific tool. And I'm interested in your background as well. You were a software engineer. What kind of brought to you into the journalism side and work for a newsroom? Yeah, I, I kind of went back and forth. I was actually, I was a literature major in college, but I was always really interested in technology. And actually, I, I think my, a lot of the work that I did, even as a, in my literature background was about how literature was informed by technology. And so that, that kind of get, led me towards kind of an interest in information and library science. And I think that's where I sort of learned, started learning to code, realized I loved it and uh, wanted to keep doing it. I found sort of was introduced to a group that was founding a startup that was doing journalism and news curation as sort of a B2B business and realized, hey, this, yeah, it's not just in library science and not just in, not just at Google that people are looking to organize information and make it useful. So yeah, that journalism needs this too. And so that's sort of how I, how I kind of found journalism through a side door. Another personal question, I'm curious about what's been your experience with AI in your kind of daily work and any interesting use case or tools that you've come about? Yeah, I, I certainly have used it a little bit, but I am a little hesitant to give ChatGPT all my information. So I haven't used it as much as, uh, as some do. And there's not, no, I'm always curious when people are using it and I want to follow closely and I, I think it's great and I'm listening. But yeah, that there's a little, a little bit of hesitance from my end of like of starting to just talk to it all day. That's refreshing to hear from a tech person about being skeptical about it, which is very valid. And so how have you been kind of looking into any other tools or AI tools that have been useful for your newsrooms or journalists? Yeah. Well, what we should, what I should really do is just build my own chat GPT, right? And then I can ask it whatever I want <laughs> and then I don't have to be afraid of any, but I think we have a, a shared Slack channel in our newsroom around just like, I think an AI project Slack channel, basically, and anyone's welcome to join. And it sort of served as a de facto working group for everybody who's interested in this work. And so oftentimes when people are asking questions in ChatGPT or, or elsewhere, they'll share what, what the responses are or what the conversation was. And it's fun to you know, talk to each other there about, you know, kind of give a grade or a rating to the responses, talk about what they could, what it could have said that it didn't or vice versa. And so I, I think that's where a lot of, um, not that I've never worked with it myself, but, but I think that's where a lot of the like interesting works, use cases come from the newsroom. I think uh, I've used it a little bit just for logistical planning and I, I like kind of using it as an advanced version of Google sometimes, or you know, Google's pretty advanced itself, I suppose. But just a different interface with Google where you can kind of have a conversation with it or it remembers the, the past thing you asked and kind of di- you can dive a little deeper. But yeah, that's where I, where I start to get hesitant. It's like, oh, it's learning my interests. Okay, that's fine. But you know, Google knows my interests too. But how many of these, how many places should I be sharing this? And then especially when it's a one-on-one conversation, I think it's very easy to slide into sharing things you might not want to share with an organization, with a company that may not be doing what you expect or want with that information. That's a really important insight. I'm thinking about it. Because of the conversational nature of these chatbots, you might be just tempted to share more than what you would probably even be sharing on just like a Google search or anything like that. Absolutely. I think that's true. And I think there's a lot... A lot to dig into there for a tool or even building a tool like this to say, like, if you have all of this background knowledge on someone's history and the things they've asked before, how much of that is, is safe to use and reuse when you're talking to them to increase the value of your product, but also how much is safe to use to other, other users of the, of the product too. And on that note, I want to like wrap things up and 
it's time to bring up your crystal ball to get what's your take on how AI is going to affect journalism. And let's talk about like the nonprofit local news sector as well that we've been seeing a great work from. What excites you about the future? I think there's a there's a lot of interest in local news and nonprofit news from foundations in, in tech companies right now. There's a lot going on. I think the future is bright for, for local newsrooms and nonprofit newsrooms and sort of getting funding and, and resources for new initiatives in AI. There already has been have been a couple of examples of this. Uh, the American Journalism Project has just uh, set up a deal with OpenAI to kind of provide funding for a group of the newsrooms there. I think they're planning on funding about a dozen newsrooms to experiment with OpenAI's tools. So I think there's there's already a good good head start and sort of it shows a, a wave of progress towards um, towards adoption of these tools and, and excitement about these tools on both sides, on both for both for funders and for the newsrooms themselves. I think in the longer term, I see Potential for, like, like we were talking about earlier, around building our own language models rather than adopting open AIs or using a specific company's AI tools. And maybe there's there's always something in between, too, where you can use a combination of the two and they might inform each other, or might help each other. I think there's there's a lot going on there. I hope that we will see it get easier and easier to adopt your own models. And already we see that, you know, certainly with some of the open source uh, LLMs that are out there and, and some of the work that is quickly happening in this space, we're finding it just easier and easier to try out new models and maybe to compare models against each other and find the best aspects of both and use that as your system. I hope that we as a group of smaller newsrooms or nonprofit newsrooms will band together and work on these together. I think that's what I really dream of is that we can have almost a consortium that is taking some of the, whether it be funding to find tech expertise or partnering with groups that already have some or using some of the in-house technical experts that we have. It's not our core business in these nonprofit newsrooms to do big LLM work. And that's that's going to be, I think, always the challenge of like where how far is too far in trying to customize your own tech here. But there's a, we, can go, we can go a long way with a, a, a little bit. And I think that's where I'm, I'm hoping that we can work together as an industry to find some of the best uses for these custom tools. Yeah, I see collaboration being so important for us just as an industry to understand how the tech can be adopted within our newsrooms and so that we don't get left behind or slighted by this technology. So it's really been interesting to hear all about the AI journey you've had at the Texas Tribune and learn about all of the interesting products you have built in your expertise and vision so far has really given us this deep understanding of AI. So it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Liam. I'm so excited to see more innovation coming out of the Texas Review and, and see amazing work come there. Yeah, thank you so much. That was Liam Andrew, the Chief Product Officer at the Texas Tribune. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots.